Hello online, I've just been moved back into the center of your view. I'm pleased about that. If you're online, please excuse this part, but this is a bottle of oil message this morning. At the end, of, what I mean by that is I'm, I want to create a moment at the end that we anoint people with oil. And so if you're online, I'm sorry we're not able to do that. Maybe by faith, by the end of this meeting, maybe on your own or with those in the room, maybe you can anoint one another with oil, if appropriate, more from that later. It's good to have plans. I'm a big planner. Liz and I tend to plan way ahead. The church is not different in one sense, but we have changed our plans this morning. And we're going to take a pause on the sermon series. Sorry that you didn't get that memo. But um, we've done a pause because there's something else I feel that in God that we need to hear. This is a timely moment for us. And so I'm going to pray and I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit And I feel even in the the singing of the songs, the prophetic words, I'm greatly encouraged that we do a pause because God is going to meet with us, equip with us, talk to us this morning. Holy Spirit, we thank you. You're more than just symbolized by oil, that you're a real person, that you come and clothe us with power and help us to live out this life as Jesus did. So Holy Spirit, help me to handle well the words that you inspired to be written thousands of years ago to a culture very different to ours, yet speaking into our now, our, our lives right now. So come, Holy Spirit, come do what only you can do. Bring life, bring hope, bring joy. Apply truth to our hearts in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Hopefully I've whetted your appetite. One more little teaser. I became a Christian in 89. Uh, at university, uh, I met a, f- a guy called John. He was living with my girlfriend, sharing a house. He also was a Christian. We're both engineers. In the engineering faculty, Tuesdays and Thursdays, we set up a bookstall. Known God personally. Anyone know that tract of yesteryear? Uh, just me, apparently. We used to have tracts. We'd set up like a bookshop. Uh, we would talk to people at lunchtime. I was, uh, uh, me and John were just great ev- evangelists. We, I'd met Christ. It was stunning. And uh, as the year progressed, John and I got very close. We were like prayer buddies. But it turns out that John was more than just uh, a flatmate with my girlfriend, who was a Christian. He was getting a lot more as well. And everyone seemed to know about it apart from me. And towards the end of my, that year at university, second year at uni, uh, it all came out. And I, because I was deeply insecure because of my upbringing, I had lots of security and emotional security wrapped up in my girlfriend. And so my world literally exploded. I'd had a bit of a colorful upbringing. And I remember when I, it all came out and John said, are you going to smash my face in? Um, I had a reputation, me and my friends, my first year. And uh, it, it, I just was, you know, just lost. And uh, what I had done that summer is I'd signed up to a beach mission at Polzeth. Hadn't been there ever before. I, I was by the, and so I went to the beach mission. And on the Saturday, I couldn't believe it, John was on the mission. Worse yet, we shared a room. Worse yet, his bed was next to mine. Let me read to you from the Bible. I will come back to that. But let me read to you from the Bible. This is Jesus' teaching in Luke 17, verse 1. Luke 17, verse 1, we're reading from the NLT. I'm going to read it all the way through, 
then we're going to revisit in little blocks and then we're going to create a moment to meet with the living God. Here we go. One day, Jesus said to his disciples, there will always be temptations to sin, but what sorrow awaits the person who does the tempting? It would be better to be thrown into the sea with a millstone hung around your neck than to cause one of these little ones to fall into sin. So watch yourselves. If another believer sins, rebuke them, rebuke that person. Then if there is repentance, forgive. Even if that person wrongs you seven times a day and each time again, and each time turns again and asks for forgiveness, you must forgive. The apostles said to the Lord, show us how to increase our faith. The Lord answered, if you had faith, even as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mulberry tree, may you be moved, uprooted and thrown into the sea and it would obey you. When a servant comes in from plowing or taking care of sheep, does his master say, come in and eat with me? No, he says, prepare my meal, put on your apron and serve me while I eat. Then you can eat later. And does the master thank the servant for doing what he told him to do? Of course not. In the same way, when you obey me, you should say, we are unworthy servants. We have simply done our duty. I felt God lay this on my heart over the week and underline it to me again Friday night. I want to talk around forgiveness. Around forgiveness and our Christian duty to forgive one another and how that will require great faith. And when we have done that, we say we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. Which is why we need to get to laying hands on one another and anointing one another with oil. Because in the natural, that is proper hard. But it is our Christian duty. This is not the final word on faith or the complexities of forgiveness, nor indeed on Christian duty, which are both very broad. But this in particular is forgiving a fellow believer when they repent and ask for forgiveness. I'm not going to be able to unpack what it means about trust and what does reconciliation look like and the degrees of that. I can't do all that today, but I am going to talk about the command of Jesus that we, by faith, forgive those who sin against us and they repent and we need help and there's help available. Is that all good? You're all leading in. Online, the room is in, God willing. And may you online, I I know you don't have the room dynamics, but we bless you in Jesus' name that all that I'm saying now, that the Holy Spirit would bring true to you. This is an important moment for us. I just sense as we run up to Christmas, as we reflect on the year we've had, we've all been in the room. I know you haven't in the same way, but we've all collected a treasury of disappointments and hurts, haven't we, over the years? Over this year, I'm guessing, maybe this last week, we need to keep working on our hearts. So verses one to two, what I love, I want to bring out from this. Jesus 
Jesus entered Jericho. Let's go back to 17, shall we? One day, Jesus said to his disciples, there will always be temptations to sin, but what sorrow awaits the person who does the tempting? It would be better to be thrown into the sea with a millstone hung around your neck than to cause one of these little ones to fall into sin. So watch yourselves. I'm guessing this is hyperbole. I'm not saying we should literally throw ourselves off a bridge with a weight round us into a river so that we would drown in the event. It's not if, it's when we cause other people to sin. I think this is hyperbole. The seriousness of watching our lives, and in this the context of forgiveness, that we watch our lives, that we're not causing little ones, those who are less mature or wobbly in their faith, to sin by not pursuing forgiveness of someone who has repented to them. We need to watch ourselves, that we're not saying we're trying to soothe them in an on-gospel way. That we should be aware, watch, it's a serious business, forgiveness. It cost Jesus his life. It cost a father a son. It's a serious business and we must tend to that lightly. So yes, there's hyperbole here to illustrate the seriousness, but there is a call, we need to watch ourselves. And even now, Holy Spirit might be in at work in you, just saying, oh, you're getting close there soothing people, trying to avoid the awkward. Be mindful. Watch yourselves. Verse 3 continues. If another believer sins, rebuke that person. Then if there is repentance, forgive. So there is something about you can't just forgive people. God the Father himself doesn't just forgive us. There needs to be a sense of repentance, a turning, a sense of faith, of I've changed my way. And there's something about repentance is part of offering true biblical forgiveness. And certainly with a fellow believer, that when you point out them, you rebuke them, you say, look, that's not right. And tone is vitally important, isn't it, in these moments. And sometimes we're angry, we're indignant, we're, we're in pain, we're hurt. And I understand all of that. Jesus understands all of that. But still there's a, there's a wisdom, there's a sense of, there's something about forgiveness, there's repentance. There is a change of heart. And sometimes that's not in a moment, that's in a season. But repentance is an important part of forgiveness. That's what we see here. If another believer sins, rebuke that person. I'm guessing that means moving towards them, taking the initiative, finding courage and faith. And yes, there's lots of caveats I could put around that to keep you safe. There's a broad spectrum in the way that we're sinned against. And I don't want to talk about you know, abuse and all those things because there's lots, I know. But the broad strokes, the majority of time, we are to move towards, to seek repentance and forgiveness. And ultimately, the issue isn't really forgiveness, it's reconciliation. It's a restoration of relationship because God himself is community, three persons in a community of love. We are to be made in the image of God, male and female, a community that's in relationship. So it's about reconciliation and forgiveness facilitates reconciliation albeit in stages, as we are to the Father. We're not yet glorified. Reconciliation can take time. Trust is different to forgiveness. I'm just dropping all these things out to you. These are key 
things to us as we consider these passages, which could be misused, but must be applied wisely, faithfully in gospel contexts. Even if that person wrongs you seven times a day and each time turns again and asks forgiveness, the Bible says, Jesus says, you must forgive. If we're honest, that is more than uncomfortable. At some situations, that feels horrifying. And so we need wisdom applying this. Those original hearers, I'm told, that if you've forgiven someone three times, if you were a Jew, if you've gave someone up to three times, that is very honorable. Beyond that, you can imagine thinking, I'm, you're just stupid. Why do you keep forgiving them? You know, you, you've done it once, okay. You've done it twice, okay. Maybe three times, just dump him. He, he's, a, he's a loser. He's always got his hands in the, in the tub of fish. He's always robbing from you. You know, he's a, he's a thief. He's a, you know. But Jesus is saying seven times in a day. Elsewhere, you could read 70 times seven. I mean, this is a license to be made a fool of, made a mug of, taken advantage of, be a doormat. Is that what is that what we're saying here? But but it feels like, and I keep saying, there's lots of wisdom around this. But we're in community, and there is lots of wisdom in this room to help us. We don't have to work this out alone. But Jesus isn't giving us a lot of wriggle room. Seven times a day speaks of perfection, completion. We forgive. And we know we forgive because we've been forgiven much. We need wisdom. I I know pastorally, but I don't want to rob everyone of obedience because of the caveats that we build in. You almost miss the truth of what we're saving for all the extreme examples. David's nodding. He's always telling you, stop caveating everything, Sean. Just say it plain. And I say, yeah, but I'm a a white middle-class dude. I want to kind of soften it all and not... Thank you, David. So, verses 3 to 4, we need to watch ourselves, we're to forgive, to seek reconciliation. 5 to 6, the apostles said to the Lord, show us how to increase our faith. I mean, that's proper hard, isn't it? It's like when they ask Jesus about divorce. You know, if she burns your meal, can I divorce her? You know, if she's annoying, can I divorce her? I mean, that's what they were asking. And Jesus said, no. Except for marital unfaithfulness. You can't divorce your wife. I mean, and they're shocked. They conclude it's better not to marry. Because, man, I've got to love her, whatever. What? And and Jesus, here his apostles are saying, show us to increase our faith then. Because in the natural, forgiving someone who sins against you seven times a day makes no sense. And and I agree. I agree. The Lord answered, if you had faith, even as small as a mustard tree, you'd say to the mulberry tree, may you be uprooted and thrown into the sea, and it would obey you so Jesus 
is saying we are to forgive. And we're saying, we're not apostles, but we are followers of Jesus. That is really hard. And I think what Jesus is trying to get at is, it's really about the presence of faith in our lives, not the size of the faith in our lives. Have you got a seed of faith rather than a tree of faith? Most of us have a seed of faith. That in itself is a gift from God. So if you've got a a seed of faith, it's more about the presence of faith in your life, not the size of your faith. It's about the object of your faith, not the amount of your faith. The object, who is the object of your faith, not the volume of your faith. Do you get that? It's better to have weak faith in a strong branch than strong faith in a weak branch. So it's, you know, I might have really weak faith in a big stout branch, but that branch is not going to yield. I might have really strong faith in a really flimsy branch, grab it with all my faith and it collapses. Can you see that? It's way better to have flimsy faith on a strong branch to hold you up, which is Jesus. That's what he's saying. And then from that faith, and faith in itself is from God, the small amount we have, that leads us into seven to nine, our sense of Christian duty to forgive a believer who repents. It says this. I mean, this is so uncomfortable to read. When I read this a few weeks back, just caught my attention. Really? When a servant comes in from plowing or taking care of sheep, does his master say, come in and eat with me? No, he says. Prepare my meal. Put on your apron so I don't see the effects of your hard work. I don't want to know about it. I just want to eat my dinner. No, he says. While I eat, you know, put on something nice while I eat. Then you can eat later. And does the master thank the servant for doing what he's told him to do? Of course not. I mean, that's uncomfortable for us, isn't it? Because we're the hero of the story. If you wash up after going to someone's house for dinner, that sense of, yeah, but I washed up at their house before I left. We want to earn. We want to play our part. I find I'm uncomfortable seeing myself as an unworthy servant. But Jesus says we have a Christian duty to forgive a believer who repents. In fact, he would say, it's almost like we've got a moral obligation. He who's been forgiven much must forgive much. We've almost got like a spiritual obligation if we choose not to forgive. I mean, this is, I don't want to push this too hard, but Jesus did say this. If you choose not to forgive, you won't be forgiven. There's a tension there that you've got to sit with. There's this Christian duty to forgive because it's almost like a a demonstration that you've understood the gospel and it's penetrated your heart in a meaningful way. There's something in that we've got to sit with and chew on. We have a duty to exercise the faith within us to forgive a fellow believer who repents. We also have a duty to not cause others to sin by leaving them in their unforgiveness. We, we're a community, aren't we? We're not a collection of individuals that gather. We are a people, a community, a body. We have a duty 
to not cause others in our fellowship to sit in their unforgiveness of somebody else. We're to help them work through to pursuing forgiveness to a repentant believer. This is very bounded is what I can read. And in verse 10, in the same way, this is Jesus, when you obey me, you should say, we are unworthy servants who have simply done our duty. Jesus is calling us to obedience. Jesus was obedient. Jesus took on the very nature of a servant. He was the only worthy servant, I know. He was a worthy servant and he has set our example. But more than that, he has made a way for us to be clothed with the power of the Holy Spirit to apply gospel truths to our heart and to those believers around us, particularly to those who repent. I mean, this verse, I, I felt the Spirit of God show me, it's left to right. Uh, we have this sense of we need to watch ourselves. Uh, why? Well, be because uh, it's important that we forgive those, even those who sin against us multiple times, but if they repent, we're to forgive them. Well, that's really hard. So what we need is faith. We need faith from God. And it's the object of our faith. Even if we've got flimsy faith, he is the strong branch. And we exercise that faith to do our duty. And when we have done our duty, we are to say we're just worthy servants. And so we have this sense of Christian duty. Our duty, as we work our way back through that, is to exercise the faith in itself, which has been given to us. You might only have a mustard seed, but you're to exercise that mustard seed of faith so that you forgive uh, those people. And we're keeping watch over ourselves. So whether it's this verse, this passages go through us left to right and also uh, up and down because we have received uh, forgiveness from God and so we receive it from him we in turn forgive those who have sinned against us we have received faith from God so in turn by faith we exercise that to those around us we have received Christ has done his duty to us so we in turn do our Christian duty to others so whether it's left and right or right to left up and down Jesus is calling us to be obedient. Back to August 1990, indelibly burnt on my mind as I sat there, overwhelmed by my insecurity and confusion, trying to funnel it all on John and not on my girlfriend, or all on John and not on my inappropriate amount of hope that I placed in my girlfriend. And I faced with a choice, am I gonna really forgive him? Because he was gutted. He was absolutely gutted. Because he understood. We were, we were prayer partners. We were on mission together. I trusted him. You know, maybe too much, unhelpfully so. He was gutted. We, we, I forgave him. I forgave him in a way. Did my soul good. 33 years later on, like deep gospel forgiveness massaged into me over that two weeks 
And afterwards, of course, you'd come, it's not a moment, is it, forgiveness? It's never just a moment. And you realize it was way more complex than I imagined it ever to be. You know, that it, he, he was not an evil person. He had his own rubbish. And some of that spilled into my life. But there was something that went on. And we were, me and John, we were never friends in the same way. Your trust was broken. That's okay. I, I, I think well of him, think well of him. I was a young Christian a year in. The enemy had made a play for my life, my faith. Massively rebuked, unsurprisingly, because of the goodness and kindness of God. Work of the Spirit in my life. And uh, I want that for you. I'm just one beggar telling other beggars where to get bread this morning. I want that for you. Because ultimately I came to Christ. Over that beach mission, I could see Christ. I encountered him amongst the children as we did activities. As I was in the sea for the first time, fell in love with that place. Poles F to me is not just a wonderful place to go on holiday each year. It is that. Please don't go. You push the prices up too much. Don't ever go to Poles F. It's a place where I met with Jesus powerfully and understood I have been forgiven much. I am going to forgive much as best I'm able to to repentant brothers and sisters who sin, in my opinion, against me. All sin ultimately is against God, but it spills out against us, doesn't it? So we do need to do our part in forgiveness. I'm guessing in this room, even today, there's at least 20 people sitting here now. You know your next step of obedience is forgiving someone, and it feels impossibly hard. And I'm guessing there's a whole bunch of people in here, you're watching a situation play out, and you could be in danger of not looking out for little ones because you're not moving towards and helping unforgiveness being worked out. And you're, you're watching it play out and letting it sit in their lives. And I want to create a moment now. If the band could come back, we just want to create a, a tender moment. There's something about music, how it ministers to our souls, can open our emotions, our spirits. I want to just create a moment to pray for people, that, to anoint them with oil, just a symbol of the anointing of God, the power of God at work in their lives, igniting faith, helping them to take the next step in that journey of forgiving a repentant believer. Or maybe for others, just faith to open that box of pain. And we need wisdom to keep you safe. You know, there's, we've got a pastoral team. It might be really complex, but this is, you know, this issue of forgiveness just needs unpacking in your life. We need to start that journey with tenderness and with wisdom, with care, but as part of Christian discipleship, loving Jesus. We have been forgiven much. So Holy Spirit, band, when you're ready, if you can just gently play, we're going to stand. I'm going to call people forward.